Oh yeah. Listen to that snare drum. Snare drum time does indeed mean Gophers review and preview edition of the soon-to-be award-winning Minnesota Sports Chat, the 141st edition of Minnesota Sports Chat. Thank you for coming along for the ride. Whether you're listening on Apple, Spotify, wherever you found the podcast, heck, maybe you're listening in the Score North Taxi Squad feed, I would encourage you to subscribe to Minnesota Sports Chat, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple and Spotify and any platform that allows you to rate the podcast, I encourage you to do so. It's a great way for me to spread the word of Minnesota Sports Chat and hopefully continue at least to be a bit of a distraction, maybe some comic relief, and talk some sports with many people from around the Twin Cities and actually, believe it or not, the country. I've been a little negligent the last few weeks by doing a traditional early in the week pod than the review and preview show. I promise you the original edition of the pod that will return again very soon. I've just been super busy the last few weeks, but I have not given the axe to the review and preview edition of Gopher football for a couple of reasons. One, I love Golden Gopher football. Two, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Daniel House. I love you, and I couldn't cut you out of my life. So welcome back, my man, Daniel House from GophersGuru.com, at Daniel House NFL on the Twitter machine. What's up, bud? It's uh, it's Northwestern week, man. It, it's it's November against the Wildcats. It's, it's, it's going to be one of those weeks, man. Now, we're going to get to uh, Peej on Northwestern, but let's... Let's review the last game that was. I know you got an angry text from me at halftime in which you didn't even reply to it. And that's when I know House might be mildly angry when he doesn't reply to me because he almost always replies to me. Also, you were probably just knee deep in college football and you didn't have time to deal with a guy who maybe had a few adult pops in the morning and was watching college (laughs) football and was very angry at what he saw in the first half. Not angry. With what I saw in the second half, thanks to our boy, Ethan Kaliak-Manis. Kaliak-Manis fakes. He's got time. Stands in the pocket. Downfield. Jackson's open. Makes the catch. He has unlocked the vertical passing game for Minnesota. Yeah, Ethan Kaliak-Manis did do just that. Gophers trailed at halftime 10 to nothing. They actually do go on, as everybody is aware, to beat Nebraska by a score of 20 to 13. Ethan did unlock that vertical passing game. Had a nice pass to Dalen Wright. Had that one to Daniel Jackson. A house, if you're going to nitpick, that probably should even have been a touchdown. But, you know, you take what you can get, and he did un- unlock and maybe unearth a little bit of that deep passing game. Your thoughts on the game in Nebraska? I thought Minnesota was very patient throughout the game. Slowly made adjustments as it went on. Uh, early on, Nebraska was coming out overloading the offensive line, mixing up fronts. They went three by one overload, ran a stunt, got a free run at Tanner, totally taking away the outside zone game. And Minnesota couldn't cut off on the backside or, you know, reach and be able to uh, spark some of those plays. So Minnesota adjusted in the second half by rolling the pocket. They were being so aggressive to the front side on the outside zone so ran a crosser hit Daniel Jackson and then broke a tendency a bit just you know airing it out on first and 10 uh they had a bot the box loaded up you had, you had a one-on-one matchup for Dalen Wright go up and get it 
Uh, Daniel Jackson with a wonderful double move to get open. Ethan found him deep. So two explosive passing plays on first down. And then they had another uh, – I believe they had like five big plays on first down throwing the football in the second half. So they definitely aired it out there and then made the adjustment with the ground game by tightening things up, bringing receivers into a tight bunch type of look. And that helped a ton because it created additional gaps. They were able to seal the edge and pop on a couple of those uh, inside zone runs in the second half. So I thought the adjustments were very good from Kirkshock on offense. And then we didn't even talk about Joe Rossi on defense being able to settle in, saw looks they weren't expecting, create a brand new game plan right at the beginning of the game, and then install it. And really, they didn't have to make that many adjustments in the second half. They, they knew what they needed to do. So I thought... That was an example of being patient, sort of probing and figuring out what you're going to get and then making the adjustments. So I, I think the go, go for coaching staff deserves some love there. Uh, very quickly, I want to give credit to ESPN2 for that Caliac Manus to Jackson highlight. Uh, the adjustments throughout the game, I, I know it's a lot easier to make adjustments at halftime. Naturally, it lends itself to that. That's why you have a halftime. I do want to ask you this, though. Way too many ineffective stretch plays in the first half. Mm -hmm. I I know you maybe can't make a physical adjustment, but wouldn't it have been fairly easy to just stop calling those plays? I mean, they they were running you in the negative every time. Why why keep trying if you know you can't block it? Yeah, I I thought that maybe they were thinking they could pop a couple of those plays, and then they didn't get the looks that they wanted. And then you know you're you're game planning coming in thinking that you could possibly do that. Like I wrote that in a breakdown last week. I thought outside zone would be something that uh, Minnesota could exploit Nebraska's defensive line with, and it just didn't shake out that way. Where you know they were doing things with their front, they were stemming the defensive line. So a lot of people maybe didn't notice it, but if you watch it back, Nebraska's defensive line lining up one way, shifting right before the snap. That's called stemming. And they did that a lot throughout the game, not showing the type of look that they were going to run. And so when that happens, then you're going, okay, you know, you think maybe you're running into a good look, but in reality you're not because they're making that last second adjustment. So I thought Nebraska's defensive scheme was very good. And people were looking at Nebraska holistically going, well, you know, from start to top to bottom, statistically, they're not a very good defense. But you got to break it down. When Bill Bush became D.C., what did the numbers look like? And coming in, I said it last week on the show, I thought their defense was a lot better, and especially stopping the run, limiting, you know, explosive plays, doing a good job there. So Minnesota was able to sort of find some answers as the game went on, remain patient, sort of chip away. And then, you know, Kirk Sharaka said, let's move the pocket. Let's get some crossers going. Let's take some vertical shots on first down, down the field. And then Ethan being able to, you know, pull the ball and, and run, picked up some yardage there. They they were getting so aggressive to the front side, you know, with, you know, the, the looks that they were giving. Then they had a run support safety coming down and getting one-on-one. So Minnesota adjusted by doing some things with a formation that I wrote about this week. So, I enjoyed watching the game back because I saw, you know, some cool adjustments in the second half. I want to ask you a favor. Maybe you've done this and you can just send me the link or I'm going to offer up a content idea for the website. And this is not a joke. I can see you're already starting to smirk. You think there's a classic Ross joke coming. There is not. Yeah. Drops are starting to plague this football team. 
the anatomy of a drop to me would be kind of fun to read about because Michael Brown Stevens, a.k.a. Lil Legend, as my buddy has now coined him with the, uh, of course, tie into his uh, uncle, John Legend. Uncle, I believe, right? Uncle? Yes, yep. Uncle okay. John. Uncle. Yep, Uncle John. And then um, another buddy who I was with this weekend, a bunch of buddies, we went down to Lincoln. Props and thanks to my buddy Mike and his uh, beautiful family for hosting us. It was a ton of fun, and if Gopher fans have never been to Lincoln, they should. Uh, the other one that's plaguing them is uh, Brevin Span Ford continues to drop almost everything thrown to him. And as my one buddy said, maybe next year's the year of Brevin Spanford because we seemingly hear that every year. And I don't want to be overly critical of him. He's had some nice plays, but he's also had some killer drops. I mean, the drop he had, the drop he had last Saturday, it well, one, it did kill a drive. On the right day, it could have killed a football game. Like those drops just can't happen. So the anatomy of a drop, why do they happen? Why do they sneak up on players? As far as I know, Michael Brown-Stevens didn't have this issue last year. Now, granted, he maybe wasn't getting as many balls thrown to him, but his drops are getting ridiculous. I mean, it it got to the point, Daniel, and I legitimately believe that this happened. I told my friends I would pull him, and I would tell Clay Geary, whatever MBS's routes are, you're just taking them over because we we don't trust that he'll catch the game or catch the ball. Guess who we were seeing in the fourth quarter? Geary. It's the- Geary. It's the most funny thing that you brought that up because I literally was just doing a text message chain with somebody in the football business talking about drops. So it, it it's hilarious that you brought that up. But you know, we were we were texting back and forth, and you know, I said I think drops are such a mental thing. You know, where it's like you're coming out of the break, you're glancing out of the corner of your eye, and you're going, "Man, I got green grass in front of me. Like I got big yards after the catch potential." And you just take your eye off the ball, you know, that it just dropped, you know. And then there's some instances where it's like the timing of the route might be off where maybe you're jammed at the line of scrimmage and the quarterback is throwing the ball and they're putting it in the spot where, you know, that you can try to go down and catch it where the DB can't make a play on it. And then, you know, it's it's maybe a little bit more difficult of a catch. There's a difference between like wide open drops to me and a contested drop where, you you know, where, where the DB's on your back and you can't bring it in. However, I do think that like all drops are equal because if it hits your hands, you got to be able to make the play. And a lot of times in those physical contested situations, it's like body positioning and attacking the football mentality, just being in the right position. So, you know, it's funny because I feel like drops, there should be like a contested drop where it's like you got a DB draped on you versus when there's a drop in the open field where it's more of a concentration drop. There's two different styles. They're both not great, but you just got to get your receivers to be confident and, and mentally strong enough to, to prevent those situations. Yeah. And the reason why I brought up the Michael Brown Stevens drop, which was either late third quarter, early fourth quarter, it was wide open and it would have been a first down. So you can argue uh, slick trick did make the kick, but you can argue that cost them up to four more points because they maybe could have scored a touchdown on that drive. On the span four drop, it probably took another three to seven points off the board. So those well, that's, those are key moments in the game. That's just it. You know, it's like making the plays that you need to make over the court, the routine plays. That That's like the difference between winning and losing, especially in close games. Like you look back, Ross, at, at one of the most defining plays of the season, it's Mike Brown-Stevens dropping the ball <laughs> in the end zone interception. Uh. Like, you look back now, if Minnesota was able to beat Purdue, and I said at the minute 
it happened. I said Purdue was the one game that they had to win to kind of set the tone for the season, put themselves in the best position because I felt like they were going to be the team, one of the teams you were competing with in the West and to have another West loss. And it's coming down now where there's still a, a path, you know, it's still a path to Big Ten West. But just think if you would have been able to win that football game, you you execute those routine plays, you're probably having a totally different conversation right now. But that's been the difference. It's it's not as been as much like there have been some other issues like play to play. It's been different things. But like the routine plays, Ross, if they were able to make those, I, I think the offense and the whole perception would look a lot different. And that's the reality you live in. A few plays define the outcome of games. Well, and, and to your point, House on the West, the door has been opened slightly ajar because of Illinois losing at home to Michigan. So a little revisionist history. If you go back in time, Minnesota beats Purdue. You're now neck and neck with Illinois. Illinois still has to play Purdue and still has to play Michigan. You would probably be back in the driver's seat to win the West. Don't want to don't want to say the Gophers can't win the West because you know I have said a few times it's pretty much over, but I've stopped short of saying that's over because it's always been mathematically possible and it still is. But to your point, you need a lot of help. One more uh, question for you, and it, it kind of segues into review and then into preview, so it kind of covers both. I believe Kaliak Manis will start against Northwestern. Regardless, I just don't think that Tanner Morgan will be ready to play coming off of a- another concussion. But let's say that he is ready to play on Saturday. Or let's say that the Gophers start Kaliak Manis on Saturday. He plays okay. It's kind of underwhelming, but the Gophers win. Who starts against Iowa? Who's the actual starter for this Gopher football team at this moment? And if Tanner's healthy, is the head coach going to try and put him back in as the starter. Because I would say this, House, I think any playing time Kaliak Manis gets is great. Uh, I think he's he's probably shown at this point he could easily be the starter for this team. I can still make the case, even though Tanner really hasn't looked great in the Big Ten season, I can still make the case your best chance to beat Iowa and Wisconsin is to have Tanner Morgan at the starting quarterback position. So who starts? You know. It all comes down to the health, Ross, where where's Tanner going to be at after, you know, having that concussion and then, you know, having to leave the game again. And, you know, there's a whole protocol process that players have to go through and we don't exactly know a lot of details of what happened or, you know, there, there are a lot of unknowns with that. I will say, though, I think, you know, right now, if I was projecting, I would say, you know, Tanner. Tanner's health, you know, is going to be the top priority. So if there's any question about his availability, they'll roll with Ethan, play him, uh, you know, the final few games. And then, you know, whatever happens, maybe they'll look in a few weeks, see where Tanner's at and evaluate, you know, where he's at. But, you know, there's a lot of unknown right now of what, you know, the medical status is of Tanner. I feel like everybody's talking about performance and all this different things, but like, I feel as if Tanner's health is like the, the topic that's not being discussed. Like let's, let's worry about how this guy is doing versus like performance side of it. I mean, I, I just, it sometimes bothers me when I see that. Yeah. And I do agree with that. And I hope that I didn't come across wrong no, no, in, in saying that. Yeah. I, I mainly believe he won't play on Saturday because he just, 
won't be medically cleared to, nor should no, he. And again, yeah. it's a second concussion in a short period of time. So maybe we're talking about a player who's going to miss multiple weeks. We just don't know that. Oh, yeah, but. and I mean, we don't even we don't even know if it was exactly another concussion. We just know upper body injury. I mean, we we know that maybe that's what happened. They like, went they went very hockey like on that terminology, didn't they? Yeah, up, <laughs> upper body. Hey, have you heard of the Husker Hex? Have you seen this? Oh, what what the heck is that? Okay, I'm going to read you some before and afters, okay? Okay. Northwestern was 0 and 0 after they played Nebraska. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. So they're 0 and 8 since playing Nebraska. Georgia Southern was 1 and 0 when they played Nebraska. They're 3 and 4 since. And this goes on and on. Oklahoma was 2 and 0. They're 2 and 4 since. Purdue was 4 and 2. They're 0 and 2 since. Illinois was six and one. They're zero and one since playing Nebraska. Or excuse me, yep, since playing Nebraska yeah. and Minnesota. We don't know yet, but the overall record: teams were eighteen and six going into taking on Nebraska. They're now five and nineteen since. Okay, dumb question here. This could just all be luck and how schedules break. Could Nebraska possibly be doing something that's screwing teams up? after they play them or is that just a is that just an oddity i feel like that's one of those stats like the how teams perform after the taylor swift album comes out like there i, I was asking somebody i said this, i was teasing carl assistant sid i said carl you know you got all these stats bro like are you going to look to see how minnesota performs in the week after daylight savings time because you know i, I want to see is there an effect on performance at the college level uh, the week after daylight savings time. And he said he hadn't done that. Maybe that's an off-season project. So shout out to Carl. For the record, there will be no recession because the Phillies did not win the World Series. So uh, all you hardcore economics people, don't don't stress. Don't pay attention to the numbers. No recession. That only happens when the Philadelphia Phillies win the World Series. Hey, uh, House, we're focused on going 1-0 and in Northwestern championship season. I mean, look at the two games. Penn State, they almost beat at Penn State, and they almost beat Ohio State at home. So, I mean, I don't have to really tell our team that. Uh, we've got to, we got 19 days uh, until the end of the regular season, and we've got our own vision and what we want to do. we got to play our best football this week. We know that, and we got to learn from all the other ones that we played, and all, uh, you know, all nine. And we've got an incredible amount of data in the first nine of what we can keep getting better at. So the goal is to go 1-0 and against Northwestern, but trust me, this football team doesn't look at that record one bit, nor are we fooled by that record one bit. Okay, you can poke fun at a lot of what he said there, but again, there's a lot of truth in there. You, you have to win the game. I, I'm not lying. This game's important from the standpoint of if you dump the next two, getting to seven wins is really important if your mission or part of your mission is to avoid playing a bowl game in Detroit right around Christmas. So that alone, should, for me, should be enough reason to take your opponent seriously. It is another Big Ten game. I do still think that Pat Fitzgerald is a heck of a coach, even though he's had some incredible lows over the last few years that I just have not seen coming. What can you tell us about Northwestern? And even though they played Ohio State pretty well, at least as the score would indicate, can we really believe if the Gophers do what they should do that this game will be a game into the late fourth quarter? 
Well, last week was gale force winds neutralizing football games. Like the weather is one of the biggest neutralizing factors in, in football. And Joe Rossi was even talking about that today, about how weather and personnel change and things can totally kind of throw for a loop what type of game plan that you put together based on what the offense is doing to, you know, compensate for that. So I don't think you can take much stock in what you saw last week, maybe some things, but you know, I go and look at, at a lot of different things. I just put out a piece on it today. Northwestern is one of those offenses that likes to stay on schedule. They're actually decent at doing that. But the big issue is when they get off schedule, they're behind the sticks. They're one of the worst teams in all the passing down success rate, passing point, downs efficiency, all those things. And their offense is very based around a quick passing game. Evan Hall gets a lot of targets as a receiver. He's second in the team, uh, I believe, in, in targets. Uh, just constantly getting involved in, in the passing game. And Brennan Sullivan, the quarterback who took over for Ryan Alinsky, they hit a rough patch, made a change. The crazy statistic, Ross, is 66% of his total passing attempts are either behind the line of scrimmage or between zero and nine yards downfield. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, that is... That alone is basically telling your opponents, we can't stretch the field. So, you know, that that's an interesting data point. I'm going through all of these things this week, and I'm like, man, look at this difference where, you know, why the heck is Sullivan's adjusted completion percentage like 81% versus Holinsky at 64%? Well, you go and look at an average depth of target, it, a lot higher with Holinsky than it is with Sullivan. You look at the passes where they're located on the field being short, They've been relying upon the quick game, a lot of those things. So being able to tackle in space, Washington, number six, the receiver out of the slot, 80% slot alignment, great hands, good in speed, good in space, team high, 19 force missed tackles. So you got to be able to swarm to the football and wrap up. And in a running game, too, Hall is a very physical runner, one of the top yards after contact backs in the Big Ten right now. And then on the defensive side, Ross, I look at, Northwestern's defense being a heavy quarters coverage zone team. So, you know, a lot of these teams that Minnesota's played, you know, they play man coverage, put a defender in a box, take away the run game, man up on the perimeter. This team has a lot of, you know, different stylistic principles. I mean, Kirk Scherak was talking about it yesterday. Quarters is a lot like man in terms of how they match and align stuff. But, you know, still it's a zone coverage principle. So I see a lot of different things they can do schematically. And one of the reasons why they've been so good at limiting explosive plays, they're like 19th nationally in limiting explosive plays defensively. It's because of that scheme. They're keeping everything in front of them and sort of, you know, limiting the big play. So Minnesota's just got to, you know, come in with a plan where they're able to, you know, run the football, blend in the quick pass, and then eventually, you know, with, through design, be able to scheme some shots open, which I think you can do. You know, I wrote about it on the website, some ways that they could potentially get some deep shots schemed open. Yeah, well, what you just said, I think the game plan house, and I guess I'm kind of backing up what you just said, is it's got to be run, 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 preferably in the power game between the tackles. And because of that coverage, I'd like to think you'll be able to get some stuff done in the slant game. And then, yeah, you, you still have athletic receivers. Dalen Wright and Daniel Jackson showed it again. If they have a chance to be in one-on-one -on -one coverage against a cornerback or a safety few times a game i think you got to throw it 30 40 yards downfield and let those athletes try and make a play well yeah and you got the option route ability with brevin spanford as a tight end to be able to get him some balls underneath i think there could be conducive to that like there are some opportunities to to exploit some of the coverages that 
that uh, Northwestern may utilize. You know, they're a heavy quarters team, like I said, but how do they adjust? Do they do some different things based upon how Minnesota has performed this season? I do say, Ross, I see a lot of people that are like, oh, you know, like being able to get open against man coverage. Like I thought the, every week I've noticed just a gradual improvement a bit, actually. Like it, it's, it still has room to go, but I think it's better. Like Daniel Jackson's route running has been solid the last few weeks. Like his double move was really good. And I see some other guys showing some flashes here and there. So, you know, that's definitely encouraging to see, see some growth. I'm not asking you to make a prediction. I am asking you to tell me if you think the Vegas line of 17 and a half is something that the Gophers could potentially cover. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I think they can cover that. Yeah, I think they can. Just because I think they're going to run the ball at a, at a very high level. I like to hear that. Plus, I like to hear you said they're going to run at a high level because the forecast has improved a bit, but right now it's calling for 31 degrees and partly sunny skies. If Ross is going to be outside for four hours on a Saturday afternoon in those temperatures... Let's try and trim off an hour and keep that clock moving. I will make I will make a prediction. There will be at least one long touchdown where Minnesota runs outside zone and Mo bends it back on the backside because the, the pursuit of the defense is not adequate. They don't hold the edge. I'm calling a backside outside zone TD big play. That's my call for the game. I like that call for the game. I will also make a call. Somebody listening right now is going to head to this website. What website is that? Well, pretty simple. Coffeebybeans.com. That is coffeebybeans.com. Why are you going to do that? Well, it's because Beans Coffee Company, they simply are just the best. And they're also celebrating one new at their brand new roasting facility in Mankato. They're inviting you to celebrate with them. How can you celebrate with them? They have a delicious new Profectus blend. A cherry robust light roast. That sounds delicious. It's permanently going to join their outstanding lineup. You can view the entire lineup of all their great blends. Again, coffeebybeans.com. This blend is currently available right now on presale until Sunday, November 20th. All presale orders, they're going to ship to be delivered the week of Thanksgiving, just in time for that special family gathering. Look for it at coffeebybeans.com, coffeebybeans.com, and don't forget to use the promo code SPORTSCHAT, one word, when you place your order and save a little cash and help support Minnesota Sports Chat. Beans Coffee Company ships anywhere in the United States with free shipping on all orders of three bags or more. Coffeebybeans.com, promo code SPORTSCHAT. Well, it followed the map of most Minnesota Vikings games this year. The Minnesota Vikings win, and they win late, thanks in part to this touchdown pass from shirtless Kirk Cousins to Dalvin Cook. Osborne, bottom of your screen. Cousins for the other way, and in the end zone, Dalvin Cook hauls it in for a Viking touchdown. Chris Myers on Fox on the call. Daniel House, all they do is win, and Minnesota is now officially the state of Hawk. TJ Hawkinson. Someday I'll do my Chris Myers for you. Someday when when I'll I'll do my Chris Myers impersonation. You know what I'll do for you? What? I'll do this next little part of the podcast as John Shambi. On Minnesota Sports Chat, 
joined by Daniel House, Talking <laughs> Vikings. Your That's thoughts? Pretty good. Yeah, it was a little rushed. I wasn't planning on doing it, but yeah. He what? sends me John Shabby all the time. But you know what? Hey, the Vikings, TJ Hawkinson, love the move, Ross. Uh, it, you could see the impact of it. He'd been there for like three days, but he's already able to come into the offense and contribute. Like David Blau, the, the yeah. practice squad quarterback, was in Detroit, so he was kind of able to say, here's some of the terminology in Detroit, and here's how it sort of you know translates and correlates with what Minnesota does. So I think that was a big part of the transition. But you watch, like I said it last week, I don't know if it was on this show or somewhere else, TJ Hawkinson being able to win at the top of routes and get open is like the best trait for him because he can line up in different spots, you can get him in bunches, you can stack him out with receivers. And he influences how the defense covers you. Like, if you want to give shade to him a little bit, you're going to give Jefferson and the other receivers better matchups. You're going to play two-eye shell to take away the big play and put more attention on Jefferson. You're going to be able to stretch the deep middle of the field, which I think you saw, Ross, a lot of plays up the deep middle of the field with the seam attacking there. But then you look at the big play at the end of Dalvin Cook, the post wheel, where, you know, Hawkinson runs the post safety bites and is influenced and being able to hit the wheel with great ball placement from Kirk. Nice catch by Dalvin. But that play, like there were numerous occasions already where TJ Hawkinson's presence created matchups for his teammates. And then also situations where he was able to take advantage of the type of matchups he's getting because of the coverage attention to a star player like Justin Jefferson. And then that helps the running game because you're running into better boxes and all these things like Hawkinson opens up a world of possibilities that we haven't even witnessed yet because he, he hasn't even been here that long. And he's already got nine targets, you know, like unbelievable. We don't know yet, but I think it's odds are greater than not that Case Keenum's going to start that game for Buffalo. Yeah. I, 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 I believe that. Uh, could be yep. wrong, but I do believe that. So am I wrong in this opinion? One, the game becomes a lot more winnable for the Vikings. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they'll win the game. I think Buffalo should still be favored. But I actually, you know, you can you can view this many different ways. I know a lot of people say, no, I want this to be an accurate test. Not only do I want Josh Allen to play, I prefer he was super healthy so we can get a good barometer on the Vikings. I look at it and say it's only mid-November. I want to stack wins and I'm chasing the number one seed. I have no problem with Case Keenum starting the game. I'll t- you know, I'll still take my stab at Josh Allen. You know when I'll do that? Super Bowl Sunday because I gave myself the best path to get to the Super Bowl. If Josh Allen plays, so be it. I, I I don't think I don't think I'm in the wrong for wanting to see Case Keenum, even though I think Case Keenum can be effective in that role and Buffalo can still win. But you'd be you'd be naive or lying to yourself if you thought that Case Keenum gave Buffalo a better chance to win than even sixty percent of Josh Allen. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but I also think, Ross, that Minnesota stylistically can match up against Buffalo. Like, Buffalo's rush defense has not been very good over the past few weeks. Like, some tackling lapses and the type of coverages that they play seem to lend toward being able to run the football. You look at the data, they're 15th right now in rush defense EPA per play. I think it's something like 16th in rushing, six opponent rushing success rate. So they're a middle of pack team. Uh, you know, and they've been dinged up on that side of the ball. Like, I feel as if Minnesota is going to try to run the football a lot in this game, try to get out on the perimeter, break some tackles, mix in the screen game to sort of, you know, also be able to get the ball out in space. 
and force them to have to tackle because I, I have not been impressed with the tackling of Buffalo's defense, especially in recent weeks when I've watched uh, their games. So I would say uh, the quick passing game combined with uh, more of an emphasis on running the football, Minnesota can can do some things offensively to keep the ball away from Buffalo's offense if Josh Allen plays. But still, I think, you know, uh, that we're trending toward Josh Allen not being able to play. If he does not practice on Friday, I would say his probability, he might even get ruled out. I just think if I'm Buffalo, there's not much of a point. I know there's still seeding for NFC them. game. Correct. You know? But it's an NFC opponent. Let's keep him healthy. We've already beaten Kansas City. We're still sitting pretty good. If Josh has to take... Look, this is why you got Case Keenum. You got a quarterback that kind of matches what Josh Allen can do for a reason. If Josh Allen can't play, you have a quarterback that can step in and pretty much run the same game plan for a couple of weeks. And here's how I look at it. You look at their next few games. They got Minnesota, then they're hosting Cleveland, at Detroit, at New England. Like that four game stretch lends to some flexibility. If you want to play case, you could do that. So he's ready to go for the stretch run. You're not jeopardizing his health. So I would, you know, they're, they're trying to keep things silent because this is a competitive play. Every coach is not going to say what the plan is here. I can see them running it all the way up to game time, put a designation on them and make Minnesota have to think who's going to play quarterback that mental game. But you know, that's, that's the challenging thing. Like Ross, I've talked to people and, you know, Joe Rossi's even brought it up like five weeks in a row, not knowing who the quarterback's going to be going into the game. It changes how you prep. It's you an, know, it, it impacts things. It's an epidemic here in the Twin Cities because the Gophers have faced it multiple weeks this year, and now the now the Twin the Twins, geez, now the Vikings seemingly face it every week. Yeah, the Twins have many problems, and facing the backup quarterback is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> facing relievers. <laughs> Uh, facing relievers and just finding uh, healthy starting pitchers where their arms don't fall off. Those are those are problems for the Minnesota Twins. House in closing, when people head to gophersguru.com, and I encourage everybody to do so, when they get there and they sign up, what are they going to find? You'll find this week a breakdown on the offensive adjustments that we sort of touched on here. If you want an in-depth look at how Minnesota sort of compensated for some of the things that they saw in the first half, remained patient, and then made adjustments. I have a full breakdown of that. And then today, just put one out on uh, the Northwestern game plan, potentially how you could approach some things. We kind of touched on some of those topics here, but went into to deeper detail and then talked about the pass rush, Ross, because interior pocket push, there is a number that was surprising from the last week's game that I talked about in here and got some perspective from Joe Rossi. So that's what you can expect digging up some trends, getting insight from coaches, uh, just lots of of a next-gen approach to go for coverage. $5 a month gets you access to it. And my final PSA, again, I said this a few years ago on the Score North Gopher Show. If you're a Gopher football fan, the drive to Lincoln is well worth it. The people have always been great. It's a cool stadium, great atmosphere both before, during, and after the game. And sources close to me, I, I didn't circle back to check on this. You may be able to buy booze in that stadium pretty soon if that's something that is important to you. I'm not saying it's important to me. It is a nice added bonus, though, but to each their own. House, thank you very much. Hey, thanks, man. Always fun. Mr. Daniel House, gophersguru.com, at Daniel House NFL on the Twitter machine. I am Brendel Ross. Brendel Ross? No, I am Ross Brendel, at Brendel Ross on Twitter. 
thank you so much for listening. Please, please, please rate and review kindly. Please maybe share the link of how you're listening with a family member or friend if you like what you hear. I'll be back early in the week next week, I promise, and then Daniel and I will reconvene. We will review Northwestern and preview Bacon Week. Iowa comes to town next week to take on the Gophers. That'll do it for this 141st edition. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk again soon.